So now I'm speaking with Mr. Luke Story, who is the founder of the School of Style and also the host of the Lifestylers podcast. So Luke, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ari. It's a treat to be on your show after having had you as a guest on mine. Thank you very much. So let's start with the background, because as you said yourself, you have sort of a sorted background. So why don't you tell us how you got to where you are? Well, here I am. I'm in Hollywood now as we speak, Hollywood, California, not Florida. <laughs> I wish there wasn't two. You know, when you go to register on something, it's like Florida? No. <laughs> uh, I moved here to LA in uh, 1989, proceeded you know, to be a rock star. You're either going to move here to be a rock star or be an actor. And I couldn't remember lines because- Or a waiter. Yeah, or wait, well, that's what you really do, you know. <laughs> but I, I couldn't be an actor because I was kind of shy and I couldn't remember anything because I was smoking a lot of cannabis at the time. But I moved here to uh, play music and then worked as a waiter and then got really, you know, had some fun, but really got caught up in sort of the underbelly of Hollywood. This is, you know, 1989 going into the early 90s. And um, I systematically sort of just destroyed my life in the first six years that I was here you know, grown up with a lot of behavioral problems and in and out of therapy and boarding schools and a lot of legal problems. And was just kind of a problem child who finally escaped and moved to Hollywood thinking that becoming a rock star would solve my problems only to find that my problems were only increasing <laughs> daily by moving here and getting a fake ID and running around Hollywood playing in bands and stuff like that. So, I mean, it sounds really, you know, dark and sad, but there were periods where it was really fun and you know, I was playing with some, you know, many musicians that I grew up listening to and had their posters on my wall and that kind of stuff. So I was living the dream, but it's like the lifestyle that I was living was so destructive and unhealthy that it started to really interfere with my ability to pursue my dream. And so it's like I kept getting close and sort of missing the mark and just continued to get mentally, emotionally, physically more and more sick. And eventually by the time I was 26 years old, I realized that this was not going to fix itself. And so I sought out some help, you know, got into recovery from addiction and all this kind of stuff. And I've continued to be, you know, sober today. But that was sort of the beginning of my journey at 26, where I really started to look at my emotions, my mentality, my, my spiritual life, the type of food I was eating, all of that stuff. So I had been kind of like a, a health nut partier, you know, it's really weird. Like even when I was like living this really gnarly rock and roll lifestyle, I was still going to get wheatgrass and juicing and, you know, doing like the stuff that was popular back then. It was much less sophisticated than now, but I knew that I needed to be healthy in order to stay healthy, happy and sober and all that. So um, that was kind of the beginning of the journey. And then for the past 20 years, I mean, I've explored hundreds of diet fads and natural healing modalities and alternative medicine and different meditation and been to India and done all of this stuff just to really, you know, try and get to the bottom of what makes one have a happy lifestyle, you know, something that I actually want to get up in the morning for. And so I've just continued to kind of achieve more success in terms of inner work on myself through personal development and things like that. And then uh, as a result, of course, having more success on the outside. So that's kind of where I came from in terms of, you know, the lifestyle that I'm living today. And then how did that end up leading to this school of style and tell people what the school of style is? Yeah, School of Style is a fashion school for fashion stylists. So if someone's listening and you don't know what that is, if you've ever seen an actor uh, on the red carpet or at a premiere, if you've watched a music video and the rock stars are, the performing artists are wearing clothes in that video, or if you see a television commercial or an advertisement on a billboard or on the internet, any place where someone's trying to sell you something and there's a human being representing that wearing clothes, 
a fashion or wardrobe style. It just dresses those people. So School of Style is a school specifically to teach people how to do that. So it's kind of a niche field within the fashion and entertainment industry. So I started that eight years ago after having at that point been a stylist for 10 years myself, dressing all these rock stars and stuff in Hollywood. But, and so, how did you, but how did you get into that? Like, what, yeah. You know? Yeah. So totally random around the time that my life sort of fell apart and I was knocking on death's door, <laughs> literally. Um, I had a friend, a woman named Kikai Mingus, who's, uh, strangely enough, the daughter of a very well-known jazz musician named Charles Mingus, which I, you know, learned about uh, later in life after knowing her for a long time. But anyway, she was a stylist and I was homeless when I first got sober as a lot of musicians in Hollywood are and were at that time. And so I was house sitting for her because I didn't have anywhere to go and she had pity on me and I took care of her dog and I just kind of became her assistant while she was gone. When she came back from tour over the summer, she booked Aerosmith as a client and she didn't know anyone out here. So I just became by default her assistant. So I'm like this broke, broken down musician who's just gotten myself sober and I'm working with Aerosmith. I'm sitting in a hotel room with Steven Tyler, you know, discussing his leather pants. It was just totally random and weird. <laughs> it's one of those things where you have to know someone. And I knew this one person, Kikai, and God bless her, you know, to this day, that was kind of the launch of my career. So I worked with her and, you know, um, about 20 other massive stylists as an assistant and, you know, then kind of branched out on my own and did styling for 17 years. So I ended wow. up working, you know, on my own with a lot of other people like, Kanye West and the Foo Fighters and Marilyn Manson and literally hundreds of different artists in the course of my career. But like then, as it is now, it was kind of a double life where I'm doing this fashion industry thing, working on music videos, flying around doing red carpets and all this. But I'm really inside, I'm most interested in health and spirituality, meditation and all this kind of stuff. So during the course of that whole 17 years, what my real passion has been is what I do now. Everyone else is getting up in the morning reading Vogue magazine. I'm like geeking out on websites, learning about the latest fast or cleanse or superfood or medicinal mushroom or whatever it is. So uh, last year, that kind of became, you know, what's my side shoot uh, business now, which is myself being an influencer and helping people really learn about all that stuff through the Lifestylist podcast, as you mentioned. So that was kind of, you know, how 20 years ended up getting me here. Gotcha. How is your time like divided now? What, what, you know, what do you, are you, is it an even split or like, are you, how, how is it divided between like the school style and your coaching and everything? Well, you know, I've had to use a lot of the principles that I've learned on your podcast actually to balance it all because it's a lot, you know, I, I got into the business of school of style. I, I had this idea I, you know, got the URL. I started holding these classes in 2008 and then the styling industry kind of blew up and became really popular. So that school has done really well. You know, it'll be eight years on November 8th of this year. And that in the beginning was just consumed my whole life because we were traveling. We traveled to eight different cities. At this point, we've trained over 3000 students. I mean, it's just like, it was very overwhelming. So I, there was no room to do this, but I was still being a stylist. Now, a year ago when I quit being a stylist, because I, you know, I just kind of accomplished what I wanted to, and it wasn't my, my heart's passion. Then I got into this. Now it's been a little bit easier to manage the school because I've learned how to outsource a lot and really have hired out a lot of contractors and I've read all sorts of books on entrepreneurship and try to apply as much as I can. I listen to podcasts like yours and others about everything from marketing to sales to just, you know, how to build an org chart and, you know, utilizing um, 
things like Evernote and um, Trello, et cetera, all of that. So now we have a pretty good team in place and we're moving more into an online model for the school. So right now we're like 50% live classes, 50% online. And next year we'll be merging into more online and fewer in-person classes to allow me to have more time. But it's difficult, man. You know, it's like I record a podcast every week and I'm doing a lot of marketing around that. We've got the Longevity Now conference coming, the Bulletproof conference. I'm doing an event um, for the Bulletproof conference, all sort of stuff. And it's like, you know, that doesn't quite pay the bills yet in and of itself. So I have to make sure that the school is taken care of. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it's challenging to, to manage them both, but somehow it's, it's getting done. I would imagine with the, with the style of stuff, like you can't necessarily teach somebody how to have a sense of style, right? So like what, what tools around that are you facilitating them with? Well, it's really more about teaching them the structure of the business. When you work as a fashion stylist, you're a freelance artist. So it's like, I mean, you're right. It's like if you try to teach someone music and how to have a career as a freelance artist, as a musician, I mean, if they don't have any inherent talent, there's not that much you can do for them. If someone can't sing, they can't sing. I mean, you learn that watching American Idol auditions, right? A lot of people think they have it, but the teacher knows that they don't. Um, But for us, it's like, we know that we can't control that part. So we teach sort of three segments and one is all about the business and how to get into the business and have a sustainable business as a freelance artist because it's a very sort of esoteric business. No one really knows how that industry works from the outside. So we teach them the nuts and the bolts of it. And then there's also the artistic part, which we can really only point them in the right direction and teach them the fundamentals and sort of the history around Um, different styles and designers and prints and fabrics and give them some background there. And then the other part that we do is we teach them in a very hands-on way, kind of a boot camp type class where we actually teach them how to use all the tools and stuff that you use on a photo shoot. So we hold our classes in New York, for example, at Pier 59 Studios, and we bring them in a studio to do the actual class and teach them how to use everything and put looks together. So we have classes that range from two days to nine days. I'm about to start actually tomorrow, nine day class here in LA. But yeah, you, you can't teach someone to have style. I mean, that's the bitch about it. Right. The, the thing is with, with that industry is you really, you apprentice other, under other people that are established and then you sort of work your way up. So what we're really teaching them is how to enter into that industry in a way that's sustainable rather than trying to make it to the top right away. We always say like, the slow way is the fast way. So we're really teaching them to find fashion editors in New York and stylists here and costume designers here, work under them, knowing the total framework of that industry and then working their way up. And hopefully along the way, they refine their taste, you know, to the degree that they can actually like put looks together and have a great eye. Because it's it's really like 80% production in this gig and then 20% artistic merit and skill you know it's like you have to really know the mechanics and the nuts and bolts it's a really weird job i mean i don't know how i did it for 17 years because you have to have a huge what's at the corpus colossum i mean you have to be able to for those listening you have to be able to jump between your left and right hemispheres at will because you're creative but you're also logistic you have to be very logical you have to be very calculated you're dealing with large budgets and numbers and a lot of moving parts but at the same time, you have to be able to look over and go, oh, yeah, that color's a little bit off. Or, you know, the geometric shape of that dress doesn't flatter that person's body type. You have to be creative and logical at the same time. So, you know, not everyone makes it in that field for that reason, because you have to really be able to um, to perform on the creative and the uh, the logical at the same time. Yeah. 
Which is why a lot of, which is why lot, my theory is why a lot of men don't do that. Cause guys, we're not typically good at multitasking. You know, it used to frustrate the hell out of me cause you, you show up on a shoot and you're, you're setting everything up. You're that goes over there. That goes over there. What time is it? Where are we at with the budget? You're doing this logical sort of left brain stuff. And then you have to just instantly switch when the celebrity walks in, you have to like pick out a dress and find the right shoe and accessorize it, which is a totally different mindset. It was difficult to do that. So we, yeah, we know we do our best to give them all of the raw materials and then we actually send them out on jobs. So we have this great um, job referral program. We get them internships and gigs. So we do a lot of the work for them. And then it's a matter, as you said, if they have the raw talent at the end of the day. That's, that's really cool. Um, so one of the things that always interests me when people are balancing sort of different uh, aspects of their life as you are, is do you have a, a certain like weekly routine that you kind of follow in terms of like dividing up the work? Like do you have a podcasting day? Do you have a, you know, like that kind of thing? You know, it's funny, man. I'm very much, uh, you know, I've taken the Myers-Briggs and Strength Finders and these different aptitude and personality tests. And every one of them totally pegs me as a spontaneous free spirit, make it up as you go along guy, Uh which is fun and exciting, but it's also really difficult because no, I don't have set days. I have an assistant, you know, like a VA that I work with that's dedicated and she runs my calendar and my schedule and knows that there's self-care, you know, blocks throughout the week where I'm going to Kundalini yoga, I'm going to work out, I'm meditating, doing ice baths, doing saunas. I mean, there's a lot of like self-care peppered in there. But Mm -hmm. in terms of having a regular schedule, I really don't other than Mondays are my admin day and I do not book any appointments. I don't do anything on a Monday. That's the day where I make sure that I'm kind of set for the week. Mondays to me are like almost like a, a second Sunday. You know, it's like Sunday I won't do any work, and then Monday I won't do any real work. I just work on getting organized for the week. But um, yeah, it's challenging to balance it. You know, when you're like a spontaneous kind of free spirited person, it's 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 a lot to keep track of everything and stuff like that. And also like something I've heard you talk about a lot, and I've used your app for that. Um, to discover this too is like finding my peak time yeah. for doing certain things. It's I've noticed even like doing this podcast we're doing right now. It's nine a.m. here, and this is like the opposite of my peak time. <laughs> like, and I just I woke up at six, meditated. I went and did a twenty-minute high-intensity workout at my brother's gym. Took a ten-minute, thirty-five degrees ice bath. Came home, jumped in an infrared sauna, and here I am on this call. And I can see my mind was not working yet when we first started. Now it's warming up. But, you know, identifying like peak times throughout the day has been huge for me. And unfortunately, you know what it is? Well, you know, I, it's funny because I did the I did your app and I found my peak time was at like 11 at night. Yeah. Which totally sucks because I wake up at six and go work out every day. So that's that I've had to try and like, you know, wrestle nature. But I also wasn't doing the tapping exactly right because I didn't have my hand planted. So I actually have to delete the app, I think, and reboot it and do another, you know, do some more tests where I'm like, yeah, but but you may find it is possible that eleven o'clock is your peak time. I've had I've had I have one client. I had a client who uh, her peak time was four a.m. So oh, well, what happened was what was funny is she was telling me she's like, look, I I'm not sleeping really well. Like I just keep waking up at four in the morning with like these ideas racing through my head, and I just can't get back to sleep. And finally, I go back to sleep at like seven o'clock. I'm like, you might want to get up and do something about that actually, uh, because your that could be your peak time. And it turned out it was. Um, which is, you could say it's unfortunate, but I would love it if my peak time was 4 a.m. I'd be like done by seven for the day. So my peak time is... Have you, have you noticed? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like the daytime peak time for me is probably, it's kind of noon to three, you know, right around in there. 
because I've usually done all the stuff that gets my head together. And that's the window where I'm like, okay, world, even if I wake up at six, I'm still like not really ready to be serious about the world and interact with people until 11. You know, it's like 11, I start to feel human. But have you know, is there also, I'm going to ask you, I interview you, is there an opposite of peak time? Because I noticed that around 5 p.m. every day, my brain goes absolutely on shutdown mode and I can't do anything, basically. Yeah. I mean, I can only do the most like rote, you know, answer emails, just really basic stuff. I can't do anything creative at five, like five to six, I'm just done. Yeah, so three to five is a very rough time of the day for me, honestly. Like it's actually almost hard for me to keep my eyes open. I probably should and would take a nap if we didn't have the kids in the home and I was with my kids. Um, but absolutely, like I am brain dead between three and five. Now you can actually create a brain dead list for yourself. So there are, uh, and it's actually really helpful to create a like an Evernote, a list of things that you can do when you're feeling brain dead. And you can you can uh, just try to somehow pull yourself together to at least look at that list when that happens. And it could be like you just said, deal with some emails, whatever those word things are. Maybe it's like rake the leaves. It doesn't matter what it is, but at least you can have some activity there. And it actually will help you push through that time. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. Especially if you're waking up at six uh, to to work out. So that's like your daily, you, every day you, you start your workout at six. Uh, it starts at seven. It yeah, takes yeah. me about an hour to kind of do my little morning routine and get over there. Yeah. Take a guess when I work out. Uh, I would say around the same time. Typically 10 p.m. Oh, no way. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's when I work wow. out. It's, wow. uh, <laughs> Does that, that doesn't get you all hyped up and like, you know what? It's, it's nothing would, first of all, nothing can stop me from sleeping at all. Um, yeah. having been a parent of four for, you know, five years now or so, I'd say like, there's yeah. nothing will stop me from sleeping, but, um, I actually really like it. I've never, it's like a newish, a relatively newish thing for me, but I work out hard and it's, I'm on, and I'm also doing hardcore cardio because I'm doing boxing training. So it's like, I'm not doing yoga at 10 PM. Uh, so it's every, every science study says that I should basically be ruining my sleep and my hormones, but I'm not. Um, so that's, you find what works. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you you do kind of have a peak time for physical output too. I mean, I, seven a.m. is like definitely not my ideal time to work out. It's just yeah. it's when the class is. It's close by, and I know that I'll do it if I'm like if I sleepwalk to my car and get over there. It's over before I know it. The whole thing takes like forty minutes with you know the um, compensation and all this. You know, there's like kind of three parts to it. But I find if I go in at 7 p.m. and work out, like I'm a beast. I'm like, God, I wish I could do it at 7 p.m. every day because I have so much more strength. I feel like I maximize the workout much more at that time because that's like when I have a lot of energy. So it's interesting. I mean, it's it's cool to become aware of some of these subtleties, though, right, where you you know, can really fine tune your life so that you maximize your time. Yeah, exactly. Well, so speaking of that, we're almost out of time here. So the last question I always like to ask on these podcasts is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? I would have to say, I mean, this one's like so overused at the moment, but I've just, I've been meditating for like 20 years, you know, all different modalities, all different styles. Um, I have something I do now that's very effective, but you know, whatever your version of meditation is, I mean, I w- you could pay me $20 million and say, Luke, you can never meditate the rest of your life if I give you this money. I mean, there's no amount of money that I would take to give that up. And uh, to me, the ability to really unplug and stop and be f- uh, looking at life from the position of something other than your thoughts and your feelings to really disconnect from that is invaluable. Uh, because during the day, things come at you and your nervous system reacts to them and you know, you have an ego, you have defenses, you have all of these sort of 
automated responses and without at least a little practice, especially in the morning for me, um, it's pretty much impossible to function and you know deal with stress. So mm-hmm. meditation would be one. The second one would be, I mean, what's been a huge game changer for me just in the last few years has been really being mindful of uh, the amount of carbs I take in and the amount of sugar. The more, I'm not like strictly ketogenic, but that was a huge boost in my productivity and effectiveness of just not having that energy flux where I'm up and down and I have all these food cravings and uh, my blood sugar not being regulated. Because my whole life, I was a vegetarian for like 10 years. I mean, most of my life I've lived on carbs and sugar. So when I became more of a fat adapted, fat burning body, it actually helped my mentality a lot. So that's something I always recommend. And an easy way to do that is just make some form of bulletproof coffee or tea. I go in and out of coffee. I've been using a lot of medicinal mushrooms and different herbal elixirs as kind of a bulletproof drink with the brain octane and grass-fed butter, depending on how sensitive I am to caffeine. I kind of play with it a little bit. But high-fat diet for me has absolutely improved my productivity and my energy. Yeah. And um, And then the next I would say would be finding a way to be of service to people. It's, it's really easy with you know wanting to be a beast and be an entrepreneur and get caught up in success and making money and being productive and being effective and lose sight of the purpose of being here, I think, which is to contribute something to add value to the world. And um, this is something that you know, I, I discovered having led a life of <laughs> abject selfishness and self-centeredness for a long, long time, where I really only thought about myself and my needs and my wants and my well-being. It was just very much wrapped up in my own little world. And I've progressively over the years become more aware of the value of being of service for whatever that means, whether it's you know, volunteer work or helping people that are less fortunate. You know, um, I'm in a position where I work with a lot of people in a coaching capacity. I also work with a lot of recovering addicts and alcoholics. And that's something I just do to do because it enriches my life a lot. But I think that's like the biggest boost in self-esteem and and self-love and value is to actually contribute to people in a meaningful way, whatever that looks like. So meditation, Awesome. Uh, you know, obviously include in the diet. We're, we're, we're just, we're totally organic. That's a given, you know, I really won't eat anything that's not organic unless I'm very aware of it. And I'm just going to take the hit and go have some fun and eat Thai food or whatever. But um, you know, the dietary thing is important, but it's not everything. It's the mentality. And then I think, you know, the, the love that you're able to express when you really are of service is um, gives life a lot of meaning. And then whether you're successful externally or not becomes a little less important to you. Yep. Absolutely. I love those. So thank you. Uh, Luke, thank you for your time. Where's the best place for people to find out more about you, the school? Well, and we'll have links to everything, the school style, the, the lifestyles podcast, but where's the, the, the best? Yeah. Uh, well, you can find me at lukestory.com, L-U-K-E-S-T-O-R-E-Y, lukestory.com. Uh, right now, Ari, I'm most focused on my podcast, The Lifestylist. It's on iTunes. I had David Wolf on last week, um, launched Rich nice. Roll this week, and then Dave Asprey's the week after. You've been on, of course. So that's like that thing's just blowing up. I'm having so much fun doing that and uh, putting a lot of energy into the podcast right now. So I think that's the best way for people to learn about me and my world. Awesome. And then schoolofstyle.com. I don't imagine so many of your listeners are going to be like, yeah, I want to be a stylist. <laughs> but, you know, maybe they know someone who does. Yeah, if you, you never know, if you're interested in, in the fashion industry, that's uh, definitely, if nothing else, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to look at an interesting business model, we've kind of created something unique in that because we're not a brick and mortar school. We're sort of a mobile pop-up school and it's, um, it's kind of a blue whale that we've got. So it might be interesting for that um, in that regard. Fantastic. 
All right, Luke. Well, thanks again. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much. Good to see you, Ari.